<laughs> Hello, everybody. Hi, peoples. We're back. Here we are. Back uh, at the table. It's another episode of the Robcast. <sighs> or the Bob and Kitty cast. <laughs> Can you have a podcast and then have like a like a sub? Do you know what I mean? Like when you have a category and then you have a subcategory? Could this be like a, a sub-podcast of the Robcast? Oh, like the Bobcat sessions? Yes. There Something you go. ridiculous like that. Okay. Um, you were doing this uh, um, Instagram live drawing lesson from this woman that we adore. Right. Right. She did a... Um, Kim Kranz? Right. She did a, a, a drawing and... Did I get that right? K-R-A-N-S, yes. Okay. Yeah, she did a drawing class called um, Draw the Feelings, which I thought sounded really interesting. Um, and I find her just a very interesting person, so I decided to watch. And one of the things that came out of it is she starts the drawing class by just having you take a piece of paper and, like, just scribble. Just like, just let your hand move. And I don't know if it's like for a minute, kind of feels like a long time, but you just scribble, scribble, scribble. Um, and then the second exercise is you get another piece of paper and you just start drawing circles that get bigger and bigger across the whole paper. And she says the reason that you do this every time before you start drawing is because you have to get like the wiggles out, the anxiety, the, the feeling like I'm not sure if I can do this. Um, I love it. The feeling like all those like voices, like I'm not good at this. I, what if I can't do it right. today? Right. Uh, what if I don't create anything? What if this doesn't make any sense? What if it's not good enough? Yeah. Um, oh, and so yeah. there's something about oh, that's so helpful. Like move just just moving the body, moving the hand without thinking about it. That in her experience gets you into a better place to create. And we were talking about that in relation to podcasting. <laughs> Let's do that right now in our hearts. Right. <laughs> because, Just drawing tons of circles. Because you said that people are really surprised when they find out that you oftentimes will start in on a podcast and scrap it. Maybe even oh. do the whole hour and be like, oh, sure, no, sure, it didn't, sure. I didn't find sure. the thing I was looking for. And oh, Or hit record and start talking and be like, that's not it. And then stop hit record again, start talking, ah, that, it'll be like one word or I'll just like flub a line and then, and then I'll think, what, how did I want it? Like it's almost impossible to critique. What was off about that? I don't know. It just was. It's all, it all sits lower than the intellect. It's like pre-rational. I don't, I don't know why. I just know it's not it. Right. Which is, it seems like that's how most artists Absolutely. operate. Yeah, is, yeah. is it's a um an intuitive feeling like you, yeah. you captured what you had in your yeah 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 in your imagination or you didn't yeah yeah it's a lot in the same way that aesthetics like you put up five pantones of blue to paint the bathroom wall one of them you just is the one and the other four aren't the particular shade of blue and if you were to try to explain that to somebody you would quickly leave a sort of rational argument for why that blue is better than the other blues because aesthetics exist in a completely different place within a person, which is just a strange... So, so you try it, and it's, not, it's off. It's not right. Um, you can't get the title. You can't 
the, the central idea doesn't feel like you're getting to it in the way you want it to. And some of it you can logically analyze and you can figure out because you've built up, you know, muscles like the craft. But like you're saying, some of it's just, I don't know. It's not it. I'll know it when I'm there. Right. So well, we, we talked about like when... Like this episode is awesome so far. But, but we talked about like when we sit down and do this podcast, oh, sometimes sure. there's a little like, it's, it's a, um, like the anxiety can be like an energy that you just need yeah. to get out. Yeah, yeah. But I was thinking about how <laughs> you could apply this to all sorts of situations in life. Um, yes. Whenever the, you're feeling anxiety, yeah. it's an energy. It's like, a, it's like yeah. something that yeah. needs to come out. So what's an activity? I mean, I'm just thinking through this for the first time, but like... What's an activity that you can do to like physically right. release some of that excess right. energy? Because I literally have like sometimes a paper with just a bunch of weird notes, uh, scratches on it, and a pen, which I realize is is some of that. I don't even there's no coherence to it other than it's phrases and bits. Sometimes it's an actual. In the old world, I'd have like an outline, but I realized some of that was just getting out. Do you remember one time um, in the? back house we were recording an episode and we started to look at each other like we we knew it wasn't working <laughs> but nobody wanted to be the first to just stop oh, the recording sometimes when you're like 45 minutes in and you're like oh i don't know if i have the stamina to do this over again i remember it had to have been two years ago maybe summer i remember thinking it was hot because you can't use the air conditioner back there because the mic would pick it up but i remember you and i it was like this heat coming over my body and seeing the look on your face like, oh and wondering, no. like, what the, f what are we doing? And both of us getting we're angry. We're going to have to redo this. Like we're trying to talk, but we're also wondering if it's not thinking, I don't think this is working. Remember that? Yeah. And then finally I was just like, who, one of us was like, get the, and then we just turned it off and just stomped around the room swearing <laughs> and just so mad but not at each other. We were like both angry at something in the room. <laughs> well, we were trying to create something and it wasn't working. Right. And we're just progressively like quicksand. We're both just sinking farther in, but no one wants to be the first to be like, ah, oh, just stop it. Just hit the stop button. <laughs> remember that? Yeah. I That's do. actually happened multiple times, but I remember one particularly knowing we're both just about to just blow our tops on this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so have we gotten have we gotten our wiggles we get, out? I feel like I got some stuff out there. Yeah. Um, so it's day whatever of social distancing, self-isolation, quarantine, lockdown, flattening the curve. We've it's been in our house. It's day whatever of what is this? We've been in, in our house with our kids now for two and a half, three weeks. Um, and... So we, when we've been doing these podcasts recently, we generally pause and we just acknowledge the full spectrum of the human experience, all the people who are working more than ever, especially in hospitals and such, to everybody who's at home and everything's gone quiet and it's um, lonely and strange, to everybody who's just business as usual, like all of, like all of it, just we put it out there. Uh, right, and actually the thing we're going to talk about today is about whatever you're feeling. Um, and it's inspired by an article that was sent to us 
So anyway, oh, oh, oh. are you ready to jump in? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. Well, should we talk about David Kessler first? How that? How? What got you thinking about this? Which is why we're here talking about this. Yeah, somebody sent us an article by David Kessler. It's actually an interview with him. Right. David Kessler was episode forty-five of the Robcast. He, a shout out, David, sending you love. He's like the, one of the world's foremost experts on grief. He came over to the back house and we did an episode years ago, but he was just interviewed by uh, Harvard Business Review about grief and these times that we're living in and fantastic interview. Right. And I felt like there are a number of things in there that I would love to talk about to um, some ideas I would love to pass along because I found it very helpful Uh, in the first question that the interviewer asked him. Um, they say this heavy feeling that we're all feeling. Mm-hmm. Would you describe this as grief? And he says, absolutely. And there was something in me that was like, oh, the grief expert somehow just allowed me to say, I'm feeling grief. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why it's sometimes hard to... I mean, I know why it's hard for me. I feel like if I compare myself with maybe what other people are going through, I shouldn't be allowed to feel grief. That's the tricky thing about grief, that it's not comparative, right. which we all want to do. Like, I have so much. Who am I to grieve? But grief doesn't, is, does not exist in, like, comparative space of looking right. around you. Right, and I also know that... So true. That it's, just, it's essential to be honest about how you're feeling. Yeah. Um, because if you're not, it just comes out in all sorts of other ways. So I wanted to, uh, Rob, you always come up with really great titles for podcasts, but but you had one. For this, this one came to me. Uh, don't fight the feelings. <laughs> that sounds like an '80s. I know it ballad. does. It sounds like uh, maybe Journey did a song on this once. Uh, what is that song? Uh, Real Speedwagon. Real Speedwagon. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, maybe that's maybe that's where. Maybe I can't fight this feeling anymore. There you go. And, and that was my favorite song when I was in fifth grade. <laughs> so you reached deep. You reached way back. Don't fight the feelings. Okay, so let's talk, um, because grief is tricky. Because, well, obviously you can't see it, in the sense that it's this sensation, it's this feeling, it's this emotion, it's this pervasive thing in the air, sort of lingering in your heart or soul. Um, but yeah, right now. Yeah. And it, it comes out in all sorts of emotions in all sorts of, I mean, they call them uh, primary feelings and secondary feelings. So, I mean, it's everything from sadness to anger to, um, just that heavy feeling like it's hard to be motivated. Yeah. Um, it's hard to think clearly. Um, confusion. It's like, it's, it's an interesting thing to talk about because it encompasses so many emotions. Um, and some of the things that he defined, like reasons why we're feeling grief, I thought were helpful. Um, like the idea that everything has changed. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a weird one for us. We've, yeah never experienced anything like this where it's 
we we don't even we know everything has changed, but we don't even know how or what or what things are going to look like on the other side. It's like Preston keeps saying everything's going to be before and after this uh, pandemic. Right. And we all agree with him. That's our 19-year-old son. He'll come in the house. He'll go and be it. Everything's going to be before and after this thing. And we all go, yeah. And I'm sure people listening are like, yeah, right. We all know it's it's all going to it's going to be before and after. But then when you say, well, what exactly do you mean? I have no idea. I don't idea. know. I just know that we're losing something. Right. And I can feel it in my bones. And we all sort of resonate with that truth. What exactly are we losing? Um, how it was. Right. The, the, the last chapter of, yeah, it's a very, very strange. So normal isn't normal anymore. Yeah. We're going to have a new normal. Yeah. Yeah. Right now we have a new normal. And we're, we're thinking that this is just for a period of time. We don't know how long exactly. And then there'll be another normal but after that. But then there'll be a new normal after that. Ah, so that it is, it is the transition. Because this is not change. This is transition. Those are differences. This is not just an, a slight tweak. This is a transition. So we left that thing. We're now in this. And it's not just what normally would come with that, which would be huge. It's knowing that we just all came into this thing. But then this thing we're going to leave. And there's going to be a new normal. Yeah, <laughs> a new, new normal. Yeah, yeah. Which this period of time is also described as liminal space. Sure. Like we've left sure, one sure. thing and we're in this period of time where we don't know yep. what's going to be on the other side. And in the thing on the other side. By the way, can I go back to what you said about if you look around, it's not helpful? Sure. About grief? Sure. Um, there's a corollary to that that I've seen again and again. Is somebody um, is working a job that's killing them in some way. It's not where they're supposed to be, and mm -hmm. they know it. But what they'll say is, man, people would kill for this job. Right. And it's interesting whenever I am working with somebody who is like, yeah, but people would love to live in this neighborhood. Yeah, but people would kill for this opportunity. Is you have to pull back and go help them see that's not helping you hear that thinking. Right. Um, and what happens is the person then develops like uh, an in, a very harsh judgment on themselves. Why can't I just be grateful for this? Right. But if it's not your path, it's not your path. And, and thinking about all the people who would kill for this job, wonderful. That, then let them have it and no one has to die and you go do your thing. That, that comparative, comparing there doesn't get you anywhere that you want to go. Right. And it kind of seems like at first, it's going, if you compare, it's going to help you be more grateful. Right, 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 right. But it really backfires because, like you said, that critical voice comes in louder than the gratitude. Like the gratitude might come in for a minute, but then the critical voice. It's a forced gratitude. It's like when that kid was like growing up in the 80s. And why people, can't you be happy? And, and the kid is like, isn't eating their dinner. And the parents are like, well, there's just a kid somewhere. And they name some country on their side of the world. Doesn't have food tonight. They'd eat. And the kid's like, it, it never really worked. The sort of like forced gratitude, compulsory gratitude. Right. Which takes me back to what you said about grief, because grief functions in a similar way, that if your first thought is, man, I'm, I'm, I have some grief here, 
oh, look at my, look how good I have it. Look how easy I have it. Other people are really struggling right now. This, there, you know, I mean, there's actual problems in the world. Once again, it doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't actually help you more readily access the actual thing that's happening in you. Um, right, which, giving it the expression that it needs so that you can move forward. Right, because really you can't listen. Like listen to your guidance, like that inner knowing. You can't listen to it until you've stopped criticizing it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Until that, yeah. until that critical voice is gone, until you like allow yourself to be you without comparison to what anyone else is doing or feeling or thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, all, all good creative work begins by getting rid of your edit button. You just, you just have to start drawing. You just have to start typing. You just have to start throwing things against the wall. Right, you have um, to scr- start scribbling, all that, like, well, scribbling on a page. That's a dumb idea. We don't know yet. You have to just get it out. Um, you get it out, throw it against the wall, and later we'll start editing and figuring out what works and what doesn't. But um, one of the things I'm always, always noticing is when people have their edit button is still on. So they can't get at the thing that's in there because they're already judging it and labeling it and making determinations about it before it even ever gets out into the fresh air to be able to see it. Same thing with grief. Yeah. Uh, Well, another thing I think uh, that triggers grief is this feeling of lack. Like when we go to the grocery store and shelves are bare, um, financial lack like there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of feeling of scarcity in the air right now and i think that's a type of grief because you wonder like will there be enough there used to be stuff on the shelves and now there's will, not will i what, have yeah. what i need um yeah i think uh david calls us anticipa- anticipatory grief um when we imagine potential loss and when yeah. this is taken to its, um, when it's taken far, yeah, uh, this is turns into anxiety. Um, sure. So anticipatory grief is normal and natural in a time like this. Like and, you just can't help it. And ferocious because it doesn't have actual shape and form. So right. the monster in the closet is always bigger because you don't know exactly how big it is. As long as it's in the dark, who knows? Its shape and form is infinite. Right. And I think we all have probably experienced what happens when you run with that, <sighs> when you go to worst-case scenario. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's when the real anxiety kicks in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think this feeling of lack that we're all collectively feeling... Um, can trigger again those other feelings of grief. Yeah, yeah. The, the uh, there's something I'm laughing because yesterday Preston was named. He was saying, um, "Everybody is feeling this, like everybody around the world." So he was like naming random people and being like, "They're at home right now. <laughs> They're at home right now." I've, I've like, noticed you've you done that a couple times. I know, and but he, because he, for some reason, he and I 
We <laughs> Just name that person who's alive today that you would most like to meet <laughs> and then put them in that sentence. But what's funny is he was naming... Their home right now. Super well-known people. And then he was naming like people that we knew 20 years ago. So he would... You know what I mean? He would vacillate he, between... Right. He'd be like, Maddie Healy, uh, Zane, his third grade <laughs> friend or something. So he was just mixing up the most random groups of people, but just rattling them off really fast. I mean, like, at home, sitting at home, a little cooped up right now. He would just... Right. <laughs> and we were laughing, but also feeling, going back to what you were saying, everybody... This is... This is such a universal experience because our culture has so much lost the tribal fire. The closest we get is like Super Bowl where everybody's seen something. That's not even everybody. That's like a relatively small portion, but even then that's considered a big deal because it's the closest we get to like a shared moment. But this is like a genuine shared moment. Which, right. I mean, you got to go back to like 9-11 to, to, I mean, that's 20 years, his enti Preston's entire lifetime. Um, to get to a shared moment. And so I love how you're talking about grief here. Uh, shared grief is a new Right, experience. it's a new feeling in the air. And then you think about this system, um, this Western world, this consumer individual market ideology, which is incredibly effective at heightening your sense of you're an individual here to consume, which is very different than um, belonging to something. So even the idea of communal grief, um, communal wrongs, communal joys is like a foreign idea for many in the Western world. You know what I mean? So right. the idea that there, I have my own individual grief, um, but I am also in this moment participating in a larger communal grief, which is very ancient. So it takes us like Terrence McKenna talks about, you want to see the future or go back to the plains of Africa? It, it takes us back um, to a time when we were deeply connected with each other. Um, we would all be grieving the drought, the famine, the crops, the loss. Um, right. But this system and its obsession and idolatry of profit immediately splits people into individuals who consume. And so what's happening is something very ancient and spiritual is we are, we're being brought back together. Like this, this grief is real. Because even you're just talking about this, I'm feeling it. I'm sure people listening, you're right, there is a grief in the air. Right. Something in the air that we all share. Right. There's the loss of connection that we're all feeling, the loss of feeling safe. Yeah. Um, we're, we have like this enemy, but it's invisible. We can't see right. it. Like a shared, but unknown, ad, unseen adversary at right. some level. Um, Although it's at some level with a rising death toll, it's seen. It's, its effects are, are brutal its and very are apparent. Seen, but it's interesting, like going out for a walk in our neighborhood. There are a lot of people walking and... Um, so you have all these people like veering out into the street yeah. and then coming back into the sidewalk to keep the proper distance. And it's a weird feeling because I'm avoiding people, but the people aren't the enemy. It's this invisible yeah. virus that can live in people that we, right. I, it's such a weird feeling. Like a friend or a friend of ours last week was like, Hey, can I come over? We were like, no, 
<laughs> no, we love you, right. but no. We really love you, but you might be a carrier. <laughs> right, right, right. Of this invisible thing. enemy. And like and even there we don't want it aren't in our even home. testing kits yet. So there's just a thing. You may or may not have it. Yeah, very strange. Very strange. And so strange that collectively we're all feeling these very strange new feelings. And we're trying to come to terms with it. We're trying to process it. We're trying to find meaning in it. Yeah. We're trying to survive it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So I thought it would be nice to talk about some, some things that we can do with the grief. Yeah. Um, so first of all, uh, David Kessler talks about the state. He's, he's known for working with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who... Um, stages of grief. Developed the stages of grief, and uh, there are five of them, and David Kessler has just gotten permission from her family to add a sixth stage and has come out with a book called Finding Meaning, The Sixth Stage of Grief. So... Um, Why don't you give people the first... Five, just right, we'll talk about the first five. Oh, okay. Um, one of the things that's important to know is they're not actually stages that you go through one at a it's time. Like non-linear. Right, they're more cycles. Because you're all over the place. You're bouncing in among them. Right. Although I, I tend to think that the sixth stage that he has added, the, the meaning stage, probably does come at the end or... Um, yeah, starts to enter... It, do, it doesn't later. enter in the beginning. Right. It enters more towards so you have the denial. end. Denial. Right. The stages are denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, acceptance, and meaning. Yeah. So I think um, it's also helpful to to talk about like how those manifest for people. I think we saw a lot of denial in the beginning. Sure. Um, we're watching what's happening in China, but most people were in denial that it was ever going to happen here um, because it's, it's, it's unthinkable. This is, this is huge. This has changed everything for us. It was kind of unthinkable that it would come here, even though like, we know how viruses work. Like, they're going to work the same way in China as they work here. We know how viruses get carried. Like, if we if we were logically thinking about this, we would have known that this was coming here unless we take action to stop the people who are carrying it. Um, but I, by the way, uh, denial. I thought it was interesting watching the day the NBA canceled, postponed the season. Mm-hmm. Felt like a moment where everything. Wait, the NBA just postponed. Right, you could like kind the end of, of denial. see. You could yeah, see you some could of, see I, denial like, oh, wow, getting these, like yeah. beaten up. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly, like a like a street fight. Um, and suddenly, oh wait, what? I remember for me, it was hearing that South by Southwest got canceled. In oh Austin yeah, yeah. Because I just thought about the financial ramifications right, right, of that, right, 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 and they're not going to cancel that unless like this is really serious. And I remember here. somebody saying, "Hey, they're thinking about canceling Coachella," and it was like come on, like that would, you wouldn't like cancel, could, oh, yeah. Yeah. End of denial. Right, so there's denial and then there's anger. 
which, um, yeah, there's lots of examples of anger and how collectively we've dealt with this. Trace and I just did a Robcast basically. About anger? Well, uh, just uh, like our anger at how this was handled. Um, like right, I, but, I, but I, even, I, I, I'm cycling through that regularly. But even I think some people are still in the stage of you can't tell me to stay home. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and that's denial mixed with anger. It's like a cocktail. <laughs> it's, uh, right. Uh, how's bargaining? Um, if we just do this. Right. If we're just good and we all stay indoors, this will go away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, everybody or, went back by Easter Sunday or whatever the, whatever the latest right. completely unverified, lacking in any data sort of hope. Or one of the many emails that I get from, you know, things that we're connected to, this person actually said what we need to do is pray. You get emails like that? Yeah, it was from a college. Okay, you got to... Whatever that is. I know, I yeah. know, but it but it showed me. The, I mean, it, oh, it showed oh. me the bargaining. Oh, what we need to do is it. pray. Maybe God will take this away. Uh, well, we should talk about grief and God here at some point. Yeah. By the way, that's coming now. <laughs> well, just the death of God, the death of a particular understanding of. Yes, definitely. Of God. Um. Oh right, right, like a form of bargaining. Sure. I'll do this. I'll do this. Right. If and we then, if we all just did X, yeah, then we would be okay. Yeah, yeah. What else? Yeah. Well, the next one is sadness, and that's um, that tends to be um, difficult for some people, and and easier for some people. I've noticed. Um, Sadness is a stage of grief. So I'm grieving and am I sad are two different. One is a subset of the other or, or the lived experience of the other. I know it gets tricky when yeah, you talk about emotions because yeah. you're talking about feeling states. Oh. Uh, got it. So um, these are just words that we have put to a collection of feelings or a, yeah. a common feeling. Um and actually, I was going to say, in, uh, in psychology, they talk about uh, primary feelings and secondary feelings, um, or another distinction is primary feelings and reactive feelings. And so an example of this is some people are more comfortable feeling sad. Um, other people are very uncomfortable feeling sad, and so... Sadness might be the primary feeling, but the reactive feeling is anger. So, uh, got it, got it, got it. So, if sadness is if sadness is and new, and it usually or, comes from the homes that the environments in which we grew up, there were certain feelings that were acceptable and other feelings that were unacceptable. Uh, so, so it's okay to get angry with the incompetence of this person or that or traffic or your boss or whatever. But sadness when, is seen as being weak. When actually the anger vulnerable. was just the easiest way to express it was actually, I'm sad the world isn't how I wish it was. Or I'm sad that, ah, uh, yes. I found myself the past couple of days especially feeling sad 
and just, oh, okay, just naming it and feeling like this tremendous release. It's almost like a release valve. Like just, yeah, I'm sad. I read yesterday. I, I read an account of some people who had who had died from this, their mm-hmm. loved ones, writing about what the death was like. Yeah, and it brought up all of the stuff I would be doing the, this month and next. That's all been canceled, and I understand placing just my work like oh those are things I really excited to do next to actual death I understand that that's like you know what I mean um going back to grief who am I to even be sad about that when people's loved ones are dying but I could see it all is it's all sadness it's like a spectrum of sadness from what appears to be somewhat trivial in the face of the loss of life but it's all sadness um it's just like a pool of sadness and it's just feel it. Just feel it. Right. It's okay. Right. And I, well, I. Which is kind of revolutionary for me, as you know, learning how to be sad over the past couple of years. Because I didn't, I didn't know how to be sad until my mid forties. Right. And so I think that's why under grief, there is anger and there is sadness together. Yeah. Like they, they can bounce back and forth. Yeah. But I think it also helps explain if you're feeling angry and you're trying to figure out why do I feel so angry? Uh, it might be helpful to just ask the question: Is this also sadness? Yeah, yeah. Um, I know in that article, David talks about how sometimes we're afraid to feel certain feelings because we think they're going to overwhelm us. Mm-hmm. Like if we let them in, they might be like a tsunami and completely take us out. And um, It's just not how it, it, it just isn't how it is. Like they have found that an emotion has like a physiological response to it. Like if you think about, if you think about feeling a certain emotion and you really tune into your body, you can, you can locate it. You can be like, oh, it makes my, my chest feel tight or, or I can feel my stomach clamp up. Like there's, um there's multiple ways that you can describe emotions and they do have a physiological component. Like maybe your heart rate speeds up. Um, like, like sadness for me tends to feel like somebody like heavy is like sitting on my body. I Mm -hmm. just feel like Mm -hmm. everything, like the gravitational pull just got heavier, stronger. Okay, and so the sooner... So the sooner that you just allow that physiological response, you allow the emotion to flow through your body. Ah, there you go. They have found that it, it doesn't... I mean, I have seen one thing written that says, like, they measured it at 90 seconds. Um, Which is sort of anecdotal. Well, I think it's very new science, but the point is... Fascinating idea, though. The point is is that there is a physiological response happening, and it's not going to overwhelm you. Like, uh, it, it has a beginning and an end. Ah, uh, uh, because it is cyclical or passing exactly like everything in nature. Inhale, exhale, yes. night, day, seasons, summer, fall, winter, spring. Everything in nature is a sine wave at some level. It yes. comes, it goes, the tide comes in, the tide goes out. Oh, see, Kristen Bell, that's 
that's ex- that's an extraordinary insight. So when we're like, if I just let myself feel that, it will pull me down and take me away forever. No, it will be like everything else in creation, and that it will have, um, it will come in waves, yeah, or exactly. it will have waves. It will is have the an inhale and exhale. Because see, when you're saying when you're saying sadness, sadness for me, um, to sadness for me asks for stillness. Because I like you know I like to move, right? So sadness for me is I have to get real still, and I'll have to say to myself, "Hey, this is sadness. Just feel." Right, and just you be still. feel like in your experience with that, you've noticed that if you allow it to come, it comes and it goes. If I do the counterintuitive thing and I just get still, mm-hmm. then after a while, it there's like a wave. And then I can feel it right now. I can feel it, and I can I can feel it feels lot physiologically. But if I just let it be there, then eventually I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I can get up now. I can keep moving again. Right. I feel I can right. feel they, it come and. They describe. It's not that it goes away, but it's just it the wave. You can keep going. That's how grief is described as well. It comes in waves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love what you said about these stages, and how. David talks about they're nonlinear because the, the the modern mind wants to go, I'm in this, then I'm going to go to this stage, then I'm going to go to this stage. Right, like, and when no, am I going to be spaces. out of it? I, 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 it always helps me think about things in spaces. There are all of these spaces that are present within you and you're occupying some or one more than others. You're moving around among these spaces within you and that's a totally normal way to think about it. Um, that's how it is. It's all normal. Right. This is good. Yeah. So, so number five in the stages or cycles or however you would like to describe it, the waves, um, is acceptance. Mm-hmm. And I like how David points out that acceptance is where the power is because you start asking the question, what can I control and what can I not control? This is what we talked about a couple episodes ago about the move from disempowerment to empowerment. Right. It's you're looking in the middle of all of this thing that's happening to us that's beyond our control. You're looking for all the little tiny spaces where you do have power and control. Right. So I got to work from home. Okay. Well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to set up space? How are we going to... Oh, our complete rhythms are thrown off. Homeschooling. Ah! Well, okay, then how are we going to do this? Uh, which has a certain activating energy to it when you get there, honestly. Yes, and I, I think part of asking the question what I can control is also asking what do I need to surrender? What can I not control? Because when you stop fighting this idea that when you surrender it, there is like, a, like he said, there's a power that comes. There's a, mm-hmm. um, there's something that happens deep within you, like a calming, mm-hmm. but there's also an activation that happens. Yeah. Like an energy that then Absolutely. wells up. Yeah. Yeah. A creative energy. Acceptance does not sound like a catalyzing. Like you seem to accept this does not sound catalyzing. It sounds, um, defeating, defeating. Passive. It yeah. doesn't sound active. It's funny because every morning when I walk the dog, 
um, if I start thinking about how long it's going to be like this, I go mental. I know. June? What the? June? What? July? Which are not facts yet. Right, right, right. right. 18 months of some limited... What? That's the anticipatory grief. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Um, But I noticed every morning when I put the leash on Zara and go out the front door, I have to go through this whole, all we got to do is today. Right. That's all we got to do is today. What are we going to do today? An acceptance, a surrendering that then allows you to imagine Mm -hmm. what you want this day to look like. Mm -hmm. What can you do? What can you control today? (laughs) This morning when I walked the dog, first thing I did is I got out the front door and I called a friend, and as soon as I heard him pick up the phone, I just said, I miss sports. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. I haven't talked to him in a while. I didn't even say hi. I just said, I miss sports. And then he and I laughed really hard for a while. And he's like, I do too. <laughs> but I could call this friend. I haven't talked to him in a while. So it had like, okay, all we got is today. Well, it's a Sunday. Who knows how long it's the third of these like this, second or third. It's like, what day is it? Who knows? What is this? What happened to time? (laughs) What's a calendar? These are good. Kristen Bell, you have more? Um, well, just a little bit more on surrender here. I, Mm -hmm. I think that it's not something that comes natural to us as humans. Um, yeah. And so sometimes we, or often we need reminders about surrender. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think sometimes people can create rituals or reminders. Um, I know when, when a friend invited me to an Al-Anon group, I was really moved by the way the 12 step process worked in that group because there was a extended time where people could share. And I think it was like maybe everybody got a minute and a half or two minutes. It's pretty quick. Um, and every story was about uh, surrender. Every story was about how they had tried to hold on to something and then what happened when they surrendered it. And it felt to me like this... Um, almost like a rewiring of, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought to myself, I see how if you sat in these meetings on a regular basis, y- your brain would start to like think differently. Sure. Um, because you're just hearing story after story of it's surrender. Rep- and part of the power is the repetition. The repetition and the... This is what this truth looks like coming through this person. The normalizing person, of it. This person, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's like a... Um, it's like a cultural experience that's different from our normal right. uh, daily life, which is usually about what can you achieve, what, what can you control, what do you want. Like there's this um, very self-centered, um, if I could say ego-driven water that we usually swim in. Yeah, fight, fr- fight, fight, fight. Um. Yeah, I think about surrendering as making peace with what is, um, which is part of the serenity prayer. But 
that I love what you say about I know like you a know counter um, a counterculture that embodies this that gradually right, shapes is a you in a whole new way. Of, is a type of ritual or exercise mm-hmm. that that is a is a constant reminder. Um, I noticed in the book that I'm reading about beginner's mind and Zen Buddhism, uh, there's a big emphasis on practice, which is the meditation, but also the practice of bowing. And what's interesting is the practice of bowing is a ritual that it's a type of surrender ritual. Um, every time they bow to, to a teacher, to, uh, a flower. I mean, the, the bowing practice is extensive, but um, it's the idea that you're saying, you are my teacher. Thank you for being my teacher. Oh, that is so good. And really, I mean, we could, we could bow to life. <laughs> Thank you for being my teacher. It's a surrendering. Um, and we don't have a lot of rituals in our our current culture, um, but we can also create them. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I, That's so interesting because I have found my uh, found myself, especially in the past few years, I often tilt towards a person after I've interacted with them, mm-hmm. like before I not just hey see you later, but like um, I give them a slight bow. And I've noticed that because of my growing awareness of how many, like everybody's here to teach me. Everybody's here to give a gift. My, just a, such a greater receptivity to all the people around me um, from every sort of background. And however I end up interacting with them, and that they're all gifts and teachers. But now you've just given me language for what, what my body wanted to do. You know what I mean? That just sort of tilt, like, um, that's what that is. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a ritualization of that acknowledgement. Right. That's good. Acceptance. Yeah. Acceptance, I think both of those are in there, acceptance and meaning. If, if If what you're saying when you're bowing is, thank you for being my teacher, you are accepting what is, and you're also acknowledging that there's meaning here. Absolutely. Absolutely. If something is your teacher, then you are in that place of waiting for meaning. Waiting sure. for Sure. Waiting for things to make sense. Yeah, because that's the, the that's what grief and pain and suffering all do is they disorient you and you're like this is meaningless. What is this? This doesn't fit anything. And so these you're moving among these spaces and stages. And over time, as you move into acceptance, you actually start to find profound meaning in it. And like we talked about uh, when we first started doing these episodes since being inside, um, you cannot rush. If you skip over everything to the meaning, you can end up it really can cause damage, especially if it sounds like you're trivializing the actual pain, suffering, loss, in this case, death. Well, I think sometimes when you when you try to find the lessons too early, yes, I actually think that's part of bargaining. 
Absolutely. Like if I can learn this, maybe I won't have to experience it anymore. What is the thing I'm supposed to learn so that I don't have to feel this anymore? Yeah, right, right. There you go. And so religion, when it when religion does that, like you know, all things work together. That's actually those are actually numbing. Um, those are numbing agents. Oh yeah, it could also fit under or, denial. Or even deny, right? Or even the like. The big lesson in all this virus stuff is that we we choose faith over fear, or whatever the sort of sort of trivializing that you're like. Oh no, no, that's just a. That's just a particular response that refuses to feel this, the terror of it, the fear of it, because this is real, this fear. So if you just sort of gloss over it with a, no, I'm not, you know what I mean? Yes. I'm just going to choose to have a, uh, great, fine, great, do that. But also, just be honest. Mm -hmm. Just be honest. Because otherwise, it's in there somewhere, and it'll come out in some other way. Hmm. Right, it's kind of like that thing that happened to you when you were a kid. Like, stay into, stay in your room until you can, until you can, like, whatever, fill in the blank. <laughs> so we're like, well, if I could just figure out why I'm being punished, then maybe I won't have to stay in my room anymore. Ah, right, 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 right. Which oh, goes that... back to the to uh, yeah, what you want to talk about with. How do we see God in all of this? Oh, right, right. Because there's a grieving going on. Because grief pulls up all sorts of other grief. Like you're grieving about that thing, but then any other grief that has been ungrieved, it's like a magnet, it pulls it up. Um, and uh, it strikes me that there's a God who has died over the previous generation. You know, there's the, there's the sky God that right. many people in the Western world especially were raised with. There's a divine being in control, in charge, created the world. Um, you think about some of those phrases. We lift up our prayers. Um, uh, we raise up our voices. Um, right. All those. Uh... God sent sent Jesus, who came down. Um, that's all three-tiered language. There's an upper realm where the divine is. There's this realm of earth, and there's a below realm. It's probably evil and darkness and demons, whatever. I mean, like you think about mythology, um, but these, these, I, this, uh, this sky god who exists somewhere else, and then may or may not, may or may not exist, and then may or and apparently intervenes from time to time. Right, but um, we can't quite figure out yeah, the formula. Right, right. right. So if you get, so if you pray enough, believe enough, if you sing enough songs, if you just give enough money, whatever that is, there's always, you know, in different cultures and different expressions, always had different formulas. Um, right. And uh, and then you had the experts who rose up and could offer arguments for the existence of this divine being somewhere else, um, and. So then you have the the arguments, the attempt to sort of intellectually argue for this being's existence, which, by the way, if you have proven some sort of divine, you have at that moment denied that, anything that could be proven like that. Um, but what has happened for just so many people is that understanding just doesn't work. It's not, it's not big enough, wide enough, robust enough. Um, and, well, and there's I also actually think a, it leaves humans in a very precarious position because if things are going well then the idea is like you must be 
pleasing God, like God is on your side. But right, like, right. But what happens when things aren't going well? Right. Then does that mean that you messed up? Right, right, right. And obviously, lots of people still. This is the this this framework for many is still. Let's just. I mean, we'll get. Let's gather in an arena and let's sing to this divine being who's somewhere else. Who, um, I mean, you. Th- this is still alive and well. It's just, uh, it doesn't work at a certain point. So you can see how grief, and then you come into like a, uh, a pandemic like this. And for many people, the, that framework no longer works. Right. Now um, it really doesn't make now sense. Now it really doesn't because make sense. Because what is God doing? And actually, uh, punishing us? I mean, lots of people have talked about, and there's an endless, endless sort of discussion about, but people talk about how uh, the sky God died in the Holocaust. Hmm. It's six million I mean, it would have been a nice time for the, that God to show up and do something. Right. But six million people died. So, um, and and that's a number of people have talked about just sort of defining moments when that God died in the larger public consciousness. Um, that's why you and I, well, I mean, like uh, on the Robcast a while ago, Diana Butler Bass came on. She wrote a book called Grounded, um, which which articulates this very well, but... Lots of people have pointed out that the sky god has died for literally tens, hundreds of millions of people. I mean, see why you and I talk about grounding. Um, you see people looking for new ways to understand the divine. So the old understandings that there's a virus that's killing thousands of people, please come stop it. Actually, we need masks. We need ventilators. You know what I mean? The old, well, if everybody would just pray, actually, uh, we need better healthcare systems, better safety nets. We need an economy that isn't so fragile. Um, A lot of those sort of pleas sound ridiculous in the face of the actual needs. Um, So you can see people looking for new ways to explore and understand the divine. So you can see, you can see the grieving. Um, I've had lots of people say, I, those images and metaphors don't work anymore. It's like a grief because they, they worked when I was a kid. They worked in a different age. They worked when I was younger and more innocent. Um, and now that understanding doesn't. Well, it's interesting because it's a system that is much more simple. Sure. And it offers, yeah. it offers a lot of security. Right, right. Developmentally, it's a very early stage understanding and it works at earlier stages. Right. It makes it, sense of things. It, it gives bring meaning. It works until it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Until so something very, happens to you and it yeah. it like it just doesn't fit anymore. It doesn't right. have the complexity that is necessary for right, right, right. the experience of life. Yeah. So when I meet people who are angry about like let's say their religious upbringing, I just go, um, do you wish you were back there seeing the world exactly as you did a decade ago? No, no, no. Are you glad that you've grown? And matured, yes. Okay, so let's think about it as opposed to right and wrong. Let's just think about it as earlier and later. Um, it worked for you for a while, and now it doesn't. So right. you're invited to grow up, and there are lots of people who have grown up with you um, and ahead of you, earlier than you, who have come up with all sorts of other um, ways to think about it. Even if you think about the divine as the question, what is ultimate? What is, what is the ultimate story that we're telling here? So uh, is the universe a cold, dark, dead place that is ultimately meaningless? 
or is our insatiable thirst for mystery uh, a clue, a hint, a pointer um, to the meaning and mystery that actually satisfies and it is real? That's just a much better way to think about it. Uh, right, and, and in a time like this, it's very uncertain. There can be a longing for that time when things were more yes. secure and certain. Yeah. And so uh, even when we're talking about grief, there could be, people could be feeling grief over that loss. Like, I think you were referring to that, like the loss of a system that made sense. Right, that right, 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 where right. Where everything right. had its place. Right. Um, where there wasn't all this unknown and complexity and uncertainty. And the, in this new place, we have to like hold things in a loose manner a and we have to way. find surrender and acceptance and control of what we can, we have control of the thing, only the things we can control. Yes. It's, um, yes. Even that haunting question, are we all alone here? Um, which is actually a child question. Is there a larger authoritarian parent who ultimately will take care of everything or not? Mm. Um, so a lot of what, what presents itself as like theological, religious, big, divine, philosophical questions actually have these very intimate, personal questions lurking within them. You know what I mean? Yeah. A parent, child, a family of brothers, sisters, of community, of tribe. Um, they're actually, they're actually the, other, the, the questions are actually far more intimate and personal um, than they appear to be. I love uh, this line when Jesus tells a story about the forgiving father and the one son is like, wait, I've always been the good son. I've always, you never even gave me this kind of party because the younger brother's getting a party for him and the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. So I, I, I love the way that it's like Jesus articulates the divine as look at this extraordinary gift of life you've received. You've always had it. It's like he reframes the universe as a generous place in which you have received, and you've always had everything you needed. And so gratitude becomes your fundamental posture. It's just gratitude and abundance become your fundamental posture, especially in the face of what appears to be scarcity, devastation, and loss. And that, now that will shape you. That will shape your heart. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. You know what I mean? Like that's a way to think about it. Right. And I love when you talk about the base notes because yeah. you're not talking about just throwing everything out and we have nothing. No, no, um, no. There there is a deconstruction phase and then there's a reconstruction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And oh, I yeah. find in your work, in your, the reconstruction that you've done, um, there are, there are lots of base notes. Oh like, this my word. This isn't just floating. Oh, abs with absolutely. With like, a, I don't know what truth is. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And people, what about God? What about God? Okay, new creation. In every unfolding moment of this expanding universe that has be been becoming something for 13 billion years, there is always new creation waiting to burst forth. 
So you can just right there. There's always a new creation. There's always something new. And the more dark and turbulent and formless and terrifying it gets, the more spirit is lurking in that, waiting to bring about something new. So we can go all day on that on the base notes. And that's the tricky thing is people will be like, so so you have to throw away all meaning, hope, transcendence, divinity? No, no, you're you are discovering depths and hope and mysterious transcendent realities that undergird everything thousand million times more powerful and actually helpful than the old sky god. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and what I find fascinating <laughs> is... Because you don't use the word god. Uh, not anymore, no. Yeah, because right. for me, it's God was always the god in the sky. Yeah. And so I had to stop using the word because I couldn't reclaim it. Yeah. I couldn't like... Right make it into something else. that word so, for you got tethered to a whole framework that you left. And it actually, mm -hmm. for me, was a concept of God that was too small. Right. Like, I needed a word that was bigger. Yeah. So I I still struggle with the right word, but sure. um, for me, words that fit better are spirit, universe, sure. um, flow, life. Yeah, gift. Um, there's like a... a energy to me it's like a a mysterious energetic flow and it also is personal with you it's like a personal energy universally personal energetic flow yes my observation watching and you. i could call it god sure you can call it anything you want but you that word um yeah it was already defined <laughs> <laughs> right i wasn't able right. to redefine that word but um I find it fascinating that you do all of this, not by going back to the Bible, but but that's a big part <laughs> of of your work is you're able to go back. That's so weird, isn't it? To the Bible and find <laughs> everything there, all of the yeah, mystery, oh yeah. sure, sure, all of the bigness, sure. all of the oh yeah, yeah, all of the deepest, most profound truths about life and the universe, you're able to go back into the Bible and find it. Which oh, sure. is fascinating <laughs> yeah, yeah, to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Watching this. People have incredibly narrow but it's, biases but it's, and understandings of the Bible, for sure. But I see the beautiful way that it creates base notes. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 because it's a lineage. And that's the thing people don't understand is I don't need to, I can toss all that history, all that ridiculous stuff that has, that has been used for violence and war and denying climate change and denying science. Well, of course it's been used for that. You can, you can like take a sacred text. You can make it say all kinds of things. Uh, you know what I mean? Any, you can always use a text to interpret it, to say whatever you want it to say. Uh, you can take the constitution of the United States and use it to excuse all sorts of things. So you can, like a text, the document, a sacred text, the Bible. That's not that's nothing new. But to find the humanity in it. But you can which find is where the, the bigness in it. Absolutely. You can find yeah. the expansiveness in it. There is no it's the Yeah. Yeah. And this is the this and this is why it's important is a lineage, actual people in space and time being opened up is really important. Now they may have been living in a different time and place that did all sorts of things that you find repulsive and repugnant that we've moved beyond. Of course, 
it was that many thousand years ago. Of course the world was different, but can the human spirit open up? Can human beings evolve? Can human beings move to greater stages of love, compassion, and inclusion? Um, so you can, you can look at a time and a place that's just layered with things that you're like, that's primitive, that's barbaric, that's vulgar, that's disgusting. But if you can find movement within that, that's actually the thing you want for yourself. It's because this place we're in now, um, we're, we're backwards in lots of ways. We're regressive in lots of ways. Do you know what I mean? We're primitive and barbaric in a thousand ways. The way the wholesale slaughter of animals, the polluting of rivers, like we can go on and on and on about the violence and barbaric primitive nature of this world. That's why a lineage, or like you said, a text, or like the Bible, is can people move forward? Right. Can we find ourselves in them and then see ourselves in a whole new light? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the the art. Because it's actually very hard to see ourselves. Yes. And you think about... We need assistance. We need like... Absolutely. We have all these blind spots. We have the the cultural waters that we swim in. This is the glitch in cancel culture right now which is, look what that person tweeted nine years ago. Well, then they, they can't host that award show. They can't have that job. They can't have that, which I get that. That thing that that person tweeted seven years ago, whatever, is, is horrible. And we completely reject and deny those attitudes. But are people allowed to grow? Are we allowed to grow? Right. Or if we can show something that you did in the past, then you get... Um, shunned and kicked out. Well, some, things, some things actually do have very real consequences, legal employment, et cetera. So that's, that's just obvious. But um, this is the problem with the hypervigilance of certain stages of consciousness is it actually then finds itself pitting itself against human growth. Right. We forget about transformation. Like can't, are people allowed to grow mm-hmm. and change their views? Right. Um, even in politics, well, you used to say this, and now you say this, and so they call that a flip-flopper. Uh, this person doesn't stand for anything. Look how they've changed their views. Right, and sometimes it because, is. Yeah, yeah, right, sometimes and it sometimes is. And sometimes it's... Uh, maybe it's because they learned, mm-hmm. and they grew, and they left that behind. Right, and that's, and again, the like complexity. adaptive ability is actually what you want in people, is to take in new information and then reformulate their stances based on what would be best in this moment from what we know. Right. Which is yeah. a complexity. Which is the ability to handle complexity for sure. My word, where did I this, know, where did we where go? Did this episode go? <laughs> I know. And Whew. I know all of a sudden I was like, Wait, I even are had we something doing an... really practical for the end, but are we, I don't know. What are we doing an episode on grief? <laughs> grief, God, and, um, Oh, don't fight the feeling. Even in the episode called Don't Fight the Feeling. If it feels like we should go this way, then go, <laughs> don't fight it. You had, a, you have a, I see your notebook there. Do you have a whole? I know. I, I would like to give something really practical here at the okay. end because um, I think we could all use practicality. Great. Go. Um, well, this is something I talked about in the anxiety episodes that we did back in episode 226 and 227. Yes. Um, We did two episodes on anxiety. 
And you did two episodes on anxiety. Okay. I just watched. <laughs> you were with me, but yes. Yeah, that was the Katie show. Okay, go on. Um, one of the things that I talked about in there as an exercise that's really helpful mm-hmm. that has a lot of research behind it um, is about writing the feeling. Mm-hmm. So I actually thought I would do hashtag write the feeling. Okay. <laughs> Just because it feels good to create something. Yes. Um, and the idea behind this is um, there's extensive research done on people writing about their feelings, especially things that uh, are very emotional, um, distressing. Um, back in the 80s, they did a lot of research and they, they started with uh, college students just because college students are a really easy group to do research on because they're kind of a captive yes. audience. Um, and what they did is they had them write what they were feeling um, for and only four hours in only four hours they they did a lot of these studies because they wanted to replicate them and um, see if future studies had the same findings because they were so surprised in the beginning that with just four hours of this assignment to write about your feelings, they were noticing that there were all sorts of um, measurable increases in both physical and mental health. So what they did is they had the experimental group write about what they were feeling, um, and then the control group write about the contents of their closet. (laughs) They could write about, (laughs) they wanted them to write about something that had no emotional significance, just like, just reporting. and they found that at the end of the study, which just included, like I said, only four hours of writing, and the reason why I keep repeating that is because this is one of those exercises that's so simple and yet has profound results. And sometimes we just need to be reminded that, you know what, this actually does work. Um, and the ultimate test is to try it and see if it works for you. They discovered that these students... But they, um, yeah, they found that these students had um, decreased depression, decreased levels of distress, dis- decreased anger levels, decreased anxiety levels. Um, they also had increases in subjective well-being, which is the term they use in psychology instead of happiness. So increased happiness. Um, And this, I think, is really important in these times. They had increased immune function, increased liver function, and they even did studies um, with people who are HIV positive and found at the end of these writing sessions that they had um, a decreased viral load. HIV positive, they had a decreased amount of virus in their system from writing out their feelings from writing out physiological their direct physiological benefits and change yes. simply from writing out yeah and that wh- is when so they simple when they reflected back on why this might happen um their ideas were that writing um helped people better understand their experiences and their self 
and how they were experiencing things. Um, that these exercises helped integrate thoughts and feelings. So connecting your mind and your body and your mm, heart, mm-hmm. becoming more whole. Um, it gave people an increased sense of predictability and control. So this also goes back to that stage of acceptance. What can I control and what can't I control? Ah, got it. The, these writing sessions, um, they they put form, they put um, story, they put meaning to what you're experiencing, and they help you figure out what you can and can't control. And 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 then the last one was they help create meaning and help manage your emotions. So it's like the writing can help with the wave, the experience of the motion, and the writing can also assist in finding meaning in something that can feel very overwhelming and meaningless. Mm-hmm. God, that's fascinating. It's so interesting how the, the step forward is often so much more simple than we would think it would be. Yeah, there is something very powerful about writing, about putting a pen mm-hmm. on paper, whether it's the draw the feeling mm-hmm. or putting a pen in a notebook. Um, there's something that happens and everybody can put their own spin on it as well. Like it doesn't have to be writing. It could be um, drawing your experience. It could be writing, but with like a whole set of colorful markers, like writing plus art or just art or, but there's something that happens when humans express. Yeah. When you take it from being all bottled inside to putting it. Oh, absolutely. To putting it out in like a, um, in like an organized manner, because I think, we can often express our emotions to the people that we're living with in a very unhealthy, unproductive Yeah, manner. stuff just comes flying out. Right. Yeah. So it comes out. It's going to make its way out. So the right. more intentional you can be about directing how it comes out, the better for everybody. Right. Which also goes back to what we can control and yeah. what we can't. Yeah, so we're all grieving. There's a grief in the air. And the more we can just acknowledge that's what it is, the better we'll all be because there's less chance that it comes out in all sorts of ways that aren't helpful, especially when we're all cooped up in spaces right? together for the next eight months. Right, and, uh, and also understanding, understanding month, these stages of grief... Months. Hopefully, will <laughs> right. also give us compassion Absolutely. for not only the people we live with, but the people that we interact with on social media, the people that we see quoted in the news. Like, we're all experiencing grief, and it's going to come out in all sorts of ways. Yeah, so, that's actually helpful for me. That that's actually convicting for me to, in, re- to remember. This is. In a way, yeah. we should just give everybody a free pass during this time. I mean, we should always give everybody a free pass and have At compassion. one level, a free pass. Yeah. I, yes. And another level. Yes. No. Thank but, you for yeah. balancing that out. But <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. I think you would like free passes to be 
to happen in this home, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're saying. Okay. I was thinking more like government leaders. I was like, no, like this is your job. Do it. But I understand what you're saying. No, I mean, when I you look at how people are reacting yeah. and what people are saying, it's helpful to look at what's behind it. Yeah, sure. Right, um, right, 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 right. Well said. So compassion. That's really well said. Compassion for ourselves. Okay. Compassion for that's everyone we interact with. Kristen Bell, that is an episode right there. That is. But don't fight the feelings. Don't fight the feelings. You're going with that. And hashtag... Your t- that's your time. Yeah, you don't write not, the feeling. You know, you just talk about interact interacting on social media and I like know. a hashtag. You don't interact on social. You're not on social media. You don't have a hashtag. I know. It just like makes you me laugh. Ha- okay. It just makes me laugh. When you said that, I was like, I think she's joking, but she's not letting us know that she's joking. Oh, sorry. Because you're not. I've never like a hashtag is that have anything to do with your life. I know. I don't ever see you like on anything like that. It's funny. Uh, you know, sometimes I do. Things I just want to clarify so, that you are kind I of being serious, that. but you were joking because you're like you're like the farthest ha- person from a hashtag. I appreciate that, that I've ever seen. But sometimes I do things just because it makes me laugh. Okay, I just want everybody to know that you were la- that I wanted to make sure that you were laughing like I thought you were laughing. Perfect. <laughs> I like doing these with you. Yeah, this I honestly was a good don't one. know where. Like I had no idea where this episode was going. I kind of knew you wanted to talk about. David's work. And I mean, I had a rough idea this is where we're going. But no, really rough. And then look at, uh, that was really helpful. That dug up all kinds of stuff for me. Great. Well, let's do this again. Okay. And uh, everybody, we're sending you grace and peace and love now more than ever. That's right.